Welcome back to Boutique Builders. We are hurtling through our six-part series, and we are already on to our fifth interview with someone from inside the industry who felt the urge to go it alone and design their own destiny. This week's guest is Dan Brocklebank, who founded Orbis Investments in 2002. As one of the longest-serving boutique bosses we spoke to for this series, Dan has the advantage of looking back on more than 20 years of change and evolution on the independent scene. In this discussion, Dan looks at topics such as adequately remunerating staff, setting realistic expectations, and why ensuring your investment team is properly supported can sometimes be overlooked when other business demands are more pressing. Enjoy. In terms of launching a boutique, running a boutique, yep. what led you down that path? What made you want to go down the sort of independent way rather than the more institutionalized, larger player? Sure. So I think from a personality perspective, i am always been much more interested in being in something boutique. I think, I think it just plays to my character. I'd much rather be in something small and distinctive. Um, but I think when it comes to investing, um, it's a really important dynamic around size that's absolutely critical to understand. Because the, the challenge with investing is that anyone can get the market returns just by investing in a, in, in a tracker fund. And the active industry exists to add value above and beyond the index. And the reality is that the chances of you doing that and the odds of you doing that are much better if you're relatively small. Or put it, put it a different way, the bigger you get, the harder it is to outperform sustainably over long periods of time. And for me um, and for, for uh, the firm I'm, I'm, I'm a part of, adding value for clients is absolutely central to, to our reason to, to exist. I don't want to look back in what I have many years on my career and say, well, our clients would have been better off in a tracker fund. So adding value for clients is critical. And so I was attracted to building something which had been designed in a way that meant it didn't have to just try and get bigger the whole time. We've built Orbis in a number of different ways such that you know, we can we can be very successful. We can we can pay our staff well and pay our partners well, um, without having to get big. Um, and it's all about delivering value for clients. And um, that that was what really attracted me and and inspired me towards um, building Orbis in the way that we've done it. Can we continue on that theme then? Because one thing sure. that's come up in these conversations is the idea of the culture of the company you're building as well. So how yeah. do you go about recruiting? How do you go about sort of setting expectations as well, I guess, in terms of your working environment. I mean, that's a huge, we could probably talk for an hour on that single, yeah, single, we could talk for hours on that single question. Um, so I, I think it really comes back to the, what is the why for the firm's existence? And the why for us is to uh, empower our clients by enhancing their savings and wealth. So we've got to be adding value for them. And so to do that, you've really got to be interested in, in how markets work and how stock markets work. And you've got to understand that it's the intersection of economics and psychology and all of that. So if you think about why it is that we exist, why it is we exist as a firm, you can almost work backwards from there. And it's um, to me, it's about making sure that everything in the organization is aligned towards achieving that why. Um, and above all, that means staying focused on the investment side of things. And what is what can be a challenge in the in the industry more broadly is that there's a, a conflict between the commercial imperatives of a business um, and that that why the investment performance on the clients. And I think firms take different measures to try and balance that or counteract that. 
Um, but at Orbis, we've taken, I think, an approach which is is particularly unique in aligning our interests with those of our clients, such that it really means that the investment returns are, are, are paramount for us as an organization. Everyone in the firm, whether they're in IT, front of house, they know that if we're delivering alpha for our clients, then everything's going to be okay. And so that's that's kind of what we're focused on. So when it comes to recruiting, the first thing we look for in the investment teams is people who are just naturally passionate about investing in stocks. And it's really weird that just some people are. I have two sons. One of mine couldn't give a hoot. The other one, the other one you know, is age 14 and he's doing a course on how to read an annual report at the moment. So some pe- it's, it's really strange. Some people just have a natural interest in it in the same way that some people really love football or, or whatever. So um, the biggest... The, the, the biggest determinant within the investment team um, of success, I think, is is that natural passion, that natural curiosity. Look, it's a, it's a it's certainly a well paid industry, and I think a lot of people say, "Oh yeah, I'm passionate," but in reality, they're just after they're trying to make money quickly, and I think those people get shown up pretty quickly because when you're investing, when you're investing on behalf of clients, it's one hell of a responsibility, and it's really really stressful because even the best investors, they're only right about 55, 60% of the time. So it means they're going to make an awful lot of mistakes. And when you're investing tens, if maybe hundreds or, or even billions of dollars of other people's money and you make a mistake, you've got to be pretty strange if you don't, if you don't feel the stress about that one. So we're, we're involved in, um, we're involved in, a, in a pursuit that is um, uniquely interesting to some people. It's a huge responsibility. But it's one where there's a very unusual kind of error rate or hit, or hit rate. So you, you have to find the people with that um, unique blend of psychology and passion that they can cope with that. And so I think that the passion in investing is the first thing. But then there's a sort of a second thing which comes, and it's even harder to assess, particularly in interview, it's really, can you cope with those setbacks? You know, are you comfortable holding positions which are very uncomfortable, which are very contrarian, where you have the market telling you you're wrong? You know, just today, for example, uh, NVIDIA is like the most popular stock in the world. Um, our view is that you know, the chances of that being really cheap today is very, very low. And the chance of us being able to add any value in the analysis of that is very, very low. So we're quite happy just to ignore it. Um, but a lot of people find that a real a real problem. They're like, but 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 it's so important and it's right at the intersection of all of these these waves. So you know, we've got to do some work on NVIDIA. We're happy just to say, no, look, it's really popular. It looks really expensive. We we may be wrong. It may go on to be great, but we can afford to miss it. We can afford to go and look at some of the more unpopular areas of the market. So it's a unique blend of passion and the ability to be uncomfortable and look in unpopular areas of the market for, for long periods of time. That's what we look for. So along these lines then, in terms of product development and the idea of the strategies that you launched, because yeah. one of the questions was about what was your flagship or what, yeah. how you decided to develop. Can you tell me about the conversations you had around the path you took to which products you've decided to launch? It's very very simple. And, and the way I would answer that question is kind of how we would answer a lot of strategic questions within Orbis is I turn around and say to you is, what's in the client's best interest? What do clients really need? And we could do a whole series on the ways in which the industry falls down or fails its clients. 
But I think when you when you look at what clients really need, let's take the UK market, the advisor market, um, or the retail market. I'll tell you one thing clients don't need is hundreds and hundreds of choices and thousands of funds to sift through and trying to figure out what the right one is. And there are even some providers that have hundreds of funds. And, and, and that to us is just a, a poor outcome for clients. Don't forget most individuals or clients, they see looking after their pension or their save, their, their investments, they see that kind of roughly on a par with going to the dentist. You know, they try and avoid it until they really, really have to. And so if we make the choice a lot harder for them, we're not, we're not, doing, we're not doing them any favors. So our approach at Orbis, um, particularly here in the UK, is just to say, what are the solutions we can put on the table for people to, um, uh, to, to, to pick between? And so we've said, well, really, it, it just depends on the degree in which people are cautious on what their time, time frame is. And so we've built a very, uh, very streamlined, essentially three strategy portfolio here in the UK. And on one end of the spectrum, we've got a very cautious fund for people who are either close to retirement or just just generally nervous about the volatility, very loss averse, or just maybe dipping their toes in for the first time just to understand how it works. That is, funnily enough, called the cautious strategy. Um, and at the other end of the strategy, we've got an all equity global uh, equity fund. It's it's the best ideas fund we have from all around the world, the cheapest stocks we can find. And that's 100% equity. So that's the one you would expect to have the highest long-term returns, but would also have the highest volatility. Um, but for, for, for most people, particularly for young people under the age of 30 or 40, that's, that's the one that makes most sense for them typically. And then in the middle, we just have a balanced strategy for, for people who are as you would, who sit somewhere in that in that spectrum. So we've designed it around, this is what we think would be most helpful for clients. And then we say within our investment teams, how do we, how do we put those building blocks together? Uh, our equity investment team is 40, 45 strong, um, and they're arranged around the world. So we have a, a process to build that equity portfolio. And then we have a multi-asset team that, um, can feed off those ideas, but can also do its own equity research and also has people looking at the fixed income team. And I think critically, kind of one thing we do differently in those multi-asset strategies is that typically when people put it together, it's almost a two-step process. It's saying, okay, we've got a 60-40 benchmark. So first step is what percentage do we have in bonds, what percentage do we have in equities, and then once you've set that percentage, you go, okay, which bonds should we buy? Which equities should we buy? Our multi-asset team works very differently. They've got a, a, an approach that's very consistent with Orbis's long-term fundamental bottom-up process, which is really just to stack up all the available securities and compare them across each other. So we might be comparing uh, a, an investment-grade bond with the equity of Shell. Uh, and while it's a bond and equity are legally very different. In many ways, they share some similar characteristics. If you and if you approach those with a bottom-up perspective, you can um, you can you can make some really interesting comparisons about where you should be. That's 
we think and we've certainly found to be much more productive than trying to take a top-down view on what the correct allocation is between bonds and equities. So that's a rather long-winded answer to your question, but hope that hope there's some useful stuff in there. It was comprehensive. It was helpful. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think we can get a lot from that because I think it's many things to many people, but you're right, it comes back to the client and it comes back to that's what the, demand That's really the key thing. It's coming back to the clients. Well, yeah. Sticking with what was broadly the client, because this comes up a lot. So we yeah. write for the pan-European audience. And whenever I speak to people and they're following, for example, a manager who's gone, a portfolio manager who's left a big shop and set up on their own. Yeah. They're always interested in that transition of how they go from working as part of a team within a big organization to being a business manager as yeah. well. How have you found that transition? What, Without asking the the jarring question of what keeps you up at night, what is the most challenging bit of running Orbis as a business, not just as an investment company? Uh, so I think, I mean, the the the, the most... I mean, by a country mile, I always have to say that by a country mile, it's always the investment returns, always coming first. So that is number one, two, priority number one, two, and three, and that's and you know, that's very difficult and stressful. So I just have to reiterate that's always number one priority. I think after that, um, it's we are. It is a, at the end of the day, it's a people business, and I think getting an environment right that's built around that investment mission is probably the number one thing that is constantly requiring effort and work and thought and input. Because although the mission doesn't change, inevitably people's circumstances change. And so everyone's on an individual journey, their own priorities and, and, and vary over time. Um, and also you hopefully, well, if you step back, um, perhaps coming back to the clients again, one thing that's critical to recognize is that if you are going to make a difference for clients long term, sorry, if you are going to make a real difference for clients in their investment portfolios, you have to do that over a long period of time. There's no point just being good for three, five, even 10 years. You, know, you really have to be able to do that over, over many, many years. Because um, you know we all have long savings periods, um, and if you're going to do that, if you're really going to ha have that long objective, you uh, you have to be able, well, you have to recognise that the horizons you're operating over could well be longer than any individual's career, and so you have to think about a portfolio management team or a portfolio construction process that's constantly planning for the fact that you might lose a portfolio manager, you might lose somebody in your investment team. And so building that continuity within the team is something that we see very much as an integral part of what we do for our clients. We're trying to give them good investment performance now and in the coming decades. To do that, we have to plan ahead because we can't just go out and find somebody somebody wants, says they're going to retire next year, you can't find somebody overnight. So we, we're building that and we very much believe in building that talent organically from within the firm. We don't go into the transfer market and try and hire people across. We take young people who are passionate, um, educate them in how we how we operate and invest. So so we're we are we're we're building um we're building that team up so that we've constantly got a developing bench of people to step in as and when people either choose or, or have to step back from you know, the frontline investment uh, investment experience. So once you've got that going within the investment team, and that, that really is critical, you've then got to get, build the whole business around them as well. 
And um, I think a core mission with that is just to try and make everything about the business as supportive as possible for that investment team. So it's things about it's things like making sure that all the compliance and regulatory functions, which are obviously very important, we have to we have to get 100% right, but make sure we can do that as smoothly and as slickly as possible, without in, interfering with you know, the investment team's time. It's about making sure that the way we interact with our clients, um, and um, the way we're able to build trust and confidence with our clients is not taking up an undue amount of the investment team's time. So we have specialists that work in that and, and help bridge the gap there. So it's it's really about building an infrastructure to enable us to remain as focused as possible on the investment side of things while fulfilling all of our other responsibilities and earning and sustaining the trust and confidence of our clients so that they stick with us. And if I can just say one thing about um, the unique challenge with active management is that even the most successful investors out there over long periods of time will go through periods of time when they're underperforming. And those periods of time are the periods that really test both, really test everyone. And that they are so disproportionately important that, that you really have to think about how you get through those times. Because the one thing you can guarantee is that they're going to come. You know, they will happen. And um, so the, 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 and, and, and also when you're going through those periods, the temptation for clients to abandon ship goes up. The longer they go on, the, the, the temptation it is for clients to move. But also, if you are successful, if you are skillful long term, the cost of clients abandoning ship goes up the longer and longer they leave it because they probably had more underperformance and there's a bigger opportunity on the table that they're, that they're giving up but by leaving so those are the periods when it's it's um just disproportionately important to have the the, the, the firm infrastructure working to both of avoid adding undue pressure to the investment team but also keeping the clients uh, on board and understanding what you're doing, why you're underperforming, what the opportunity set is, why the portfolio is positioned in a particular way. So, um, can't even remember what your what your original question was, um, but but that's certainly an area that that's really worth understanding and exploring. I think with that answer, you've also touched upon and, and covered quite well the the bit I was going to say about if you could have learned do something differently or approach things differently. I think that's been covered. So I think there's only one real. Okay. question which again is slightly reciprocal of the first one which is yeah. what's the best thing about running a boutique um can't remember what i actually thought i what i what i thought about for this one um what's the best thing so um i think i mean the most well the, there are two aspects um I, i'll probably just focus on one for now but i think you know we've had a number of occasions when clients have gone out of their way to get in touch with us and say thank you you've made a real difference you know like handwritten notes from people who were um you know with us from from the outset and i think when when those land then uh, it's a it's a it's a very powerful reminder that at the end of the day we're not just shuffling cells around on a spreadsheet you know it's real people's lives that we're impacting here and real people's lives that we're trying to help and so that's 
that's ultimately uh, what matters. I mean, in the shorter term, you know, my parents-in-law are clients, so uh, it's avoiding <laughs> avoiding them being upset with me is also quite motivating. Um, but 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 in in a funny way, I think the helping clients, while it, the investment returns is a really important part of it. Um, what we do is so much more than that it, it, because we have to help clients with their administration. We have to make sure that the totality of their experience is, is, um, is really high quality. And um, I was walking through our client services team the other day and there was this bunch of flowers on the table. And I, I, said, to, uh, I said to Maddie, who, who, who was standing near them, I said, what, what's that all about? Um, and she said, oh yeah, we, we, a client went through a bit of a difficult phase and we were able to be really helpful and, and, and help them through it with all the forms and everything. And the client had sent her uh, a bouquet of flowers. Now, I don't know when you last ever considered uh, sending somebody on the end of a customer services helpline a bouquet of flowers, but um, it was just another example that um, you know, there are real people at the end of the day. And it's the totality of that experience that can make a real difference. Something that Maddie and her team had done had obviously made a real impact there. So it was really wonderful to see that. So that was pretty cool. Fantastic. That's an excellent example. I think that's really nice to personal touch.